that's that's new and official <laughs> nice um, thanks for telling us <laughs> so i guess um we wanted to talk a little bit about uh as a starting place a, a hidden life um you've already seen the movie two times now is that right luke twice yeah uh i might see it another time we'll see there's a couple other people that i've it's just hard to coordinate life that i've talked to locally that are interested in seeing it so we'll see i it's i don't know i'm, I'm a little hesitant to maybe see it again just because i don't know that you I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a lot there and it's a movie that's worth watching again, but, but I don't know. Sometimes what was the biggest difference you noticed from, from viewing two to viewing one? Um, well, this is a, not necessarily anything within the subject matter, but what I found, and this is probably just has to do with, anticipation going into it and where I, the first time I watched it with my wife and it was over Christmas break. And so we were, um, there's a lot more just space and like her and I were going out on a big date day and things. And so, uh, the first time I went in, the first time was much more emotional. Yeah. Like I, uh, I think I told you, I don't know. I maybe cried through about half of it. Like I was just, I was in this and that's how I am when I'm not, when I'm not super busy. Like I'm very, I can just cry like that. So I, uh, if I'm in the right, there's the the pacing of the film is like very slow. So you have a lot of time to kind of process what's going on. Right. You know, but so like even, even in the beginning of the film, it kind of, it, it becomes more, um, you know, emotionally difficult, but even at the beginning, just like the, the, beauty and the landscapes and the film and the music and like the first words the opening words of the of the film are like you know we thought we could build our nest up high among the clouds where essentially where the world couldn't corrupt us and get at us and just as as this even as the words it's Fran speaking this and overlaid with music and things like I was about crying during that. <laughs> like they hadn't, they hadn't even like showed a, a visual yet. And so I was just ready. I was ready for it the first time. And um, so that was probably the biggest thing. I mean, there were still, there were still, there, there's a point in particular in the film that just like, I can't even, I can't even really talk about like if I start to talk about it, if I just even start describing it to anyone or the second time I watch it, I just cry. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you found this to be the case, but one of the things I noticed is again, the pacing of the film is, is like there's so many shots where it's just lingering on a scene and it kind of just stays there. So you, and that becomes kind of the norm for the whole film. So you, I found myself oftentimes not even thinking about, the events of the film, but more, even my own life Mm -hmm. and kind of like how the patterns in there played out in my life or, or I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily intentional on Malik's part. I, I saw an article a while back that I don't, I don't know if I shared with you or saw, but it's essentially, it gets into Malik. And for those that don't know, Terrence Malik, the director is, um, he is, uh, I don't know. He's an, he's an interesting, he's a very interesting guy. Like he went to Harvard for philosophy and great graduated like summa cum laude. Um, 
I never know how to say that. So how you pronounce that? And uh, and he's brilliant. Went on to <clears throat> he was I think he was a Rhodes Scholar too. I don't know. He went on and he was going to do an advanced degree in philosophy, but somehow he got into a disagreement with his with like his professor about. I don't know if it's like a translation of Heidegger at some point in Heidegger and he just like quit and uh, ended up going over to Germany and I think sought out Heidegger, but he's, so he's a Heideggerian. He's a big fan of Heidegger. He translated one of Heidegger's works, which is still like apparently the go-to. And, um, and so in his, all that to say, like in his film, he's a very, he's very philosophical, but even in his art, I mean, he's obviously artistic too. He's, I read somewhere that he's trying to he's trying to give you a new way of perceiving reality through his films. Mm-hmm. So like he's not he's very I mean he's famously not plot and narrative based. Tree of Life's a great example of that. Like there is a plot and there's a narrative, but it's almost subservient to the visuals. Yeah. And uh and so I think what's so I think that's an intentional. He's just, he's got a, he's known for cinematography and this guy, the cinematographer that works with him all the time. So he has these long shots and sometimes not very much dialogue. And so I think when you're watching things like that, I think that happens. Like there's, it gives you lots of space to either think about the movie, to think about yourself, to think about the visuals, to be, there's a lot of openness. And I think that's intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 don't, I would say, though, you have to, to get something out of the film. I think you have to be incredibly patient, which, yeah. unfortunately, I think a lot of people aren't. Um, for instance, my girlfriend who I went with, I, I don't think she liked it. And she actually wanted to go with it when she saw to me. With, like, I didn't think she'd want to see the film. She's mm-hmm. kind of like does her own thing. And, um, but when she saw the, the uh, trailer, she was like, oh, yeah, it looks great. You know, but yeah. I, I don't think that the the pacing is so it's so slow and it's it's so uh unlike any sort of pattern for any other filmmaking. If you've seen other of his films, it's you kind of know what you're getting into from the get-go, but um it is it makes it it's um if you're not so inclined to be philosophical, I think it's difficult. Yeah, or even um it's very I th- I think people who don't know who he is and aren't into so like um i've been thinking a lot so i'll bring up this point and it's famous i i mentioned it somewhere else i think maybe when i was talking about joker with someone but i watched this uh director's round table for like all the oscar nominated best films and i sent it to you but scorsese was in there and they were taught and they brought up this quote because scorsese like a couple months ago said something he critiqued marvel films mm-hmm he didn't well he didn't really critique them i mean i think i don't think he'd say he critiqued them he just said they're not cinema he was putting a distinction between cinema and marvel movies which he called he called them like um theme park movies so like and that's fine you know like there's nothing wrong with a theme park a theme park is great but he said that's not cinema it's not art it's it's kind of base entertainment and i don't mean that pejoratively it's just it's just meant to be entertained you know inter- entertaining and ter- and malik's movies are not that they're like as far away from that as you can get they're yeah. not meant to be entertaining they're not entertainment 
Right. And so I think if you don't know that going in, like Tree of Life, for example, which is harder than this one, is my favorite movie. I think Nathan Jacobs and Paul's channel said it's maybe his favorite movie. It's like the highest art he's ever seen in cinema or something. And, I need to uh, watch that again. Cause I think that may have been the first one I saw by him. Yeah. And I was, I was, I spent too much of my time going, trying to figure out what, what's his intentions here. Right. Versus like, ultimately what I think he's after is like a, a sort of, you know, by by withdrawing so much of the the sense making apparatus of the story, he's kind of draws you into kind of meditations on what what our it's like a meta story about life itself, you know, kind of and and yeah. But if you're not set up for that, you kind of you can become quickly annoyed, you know. Like if you like uh, the, the visuals are very pretty, like and 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 like if you have an appreciation for that, that almost can can fill in that space of for whatever quote unquote entertainment you're looking for. Um, because it is like, there's like every other scene, like you're seeing something that's, that's beautiful enough that you're like, wow, I just, I would love to actually be physically where this was being shot. You know, it's like, it just kind of draws you into like, if you have any sort of like, you know, reverie for nature that you, yeah. And that's, but um, yeah, I, I need to go see that again. And, actually was just looking at night of cups the other day. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Um, but I'm familiar with that one. Um, so I have not, I don't know. I haven't seen that one, but I've seen his, uh, Oh shoot. What's the one with, uh, Javier Bardem and, and, uh, and it's got Rachel McAdams. I haven't and, seen uh, and, uh, who's a recent, Who's uh who what's who's the last Batman? What's his name? Not uh, the one coming out. Like the ridiculous superhero Batman, not the good one. What Goodwill Hunting? What's his name? Oh, um, anyhow, my my brain doesn't work right now. Right, but he's uh, God, he's so the, famous. the one in the the DC Comics version. Yeah, I know you're talking yeah. about. But anyhow, he's in it, and it's really good. There's some scenes from it that are phenomenal. But Tree of Life, that movie's like that too. But Tree of Life is difficult in that. The way I would describe Tree of Life to someone is it's it's cinema. It's high cinema, but like it's – so one way that I've come to think about it is – so think about that Peugeot line, which I think is true, but like the expression of the infinite is also infinite. So like – there is infinity, but then we have all these particulars. So we have these spirits and then we have particulars. And so a human being is an icon of God. He's not God. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not the infinite God, but yet we're an expression of that. And so human beings are also infinite in a confusing way. But Malick's film, like Tree of Life especially, it's, it's not, most films focus on this and our story. Malick's films are moving in and out of, of the big infinity and the, mm -hmm. and the small example of the particular of the infinity. And he, especially tree of life is weaving in and out of those all the time. And it's going into creation and it's bringing in like dinosaurs and Job. And there's all these quotes of the Bible. And so it's about, it's about transcendence, but also about this story of this one guy and his family. Mm -hmm. And it's moving in between those both all the time. And I think unless you, unless you know that going in and unless you've maybe 
either consciously and in an articulated way done some work to see that reality and to think about some of those kinds of things, then you're just going to be like, this is nonsense. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Malik, there is a certain genius at play. I also feel like at times some of, some of his, it, it feels like at the top of his hierarchy is the aesthetic, which at times I think can feel pretentious and kind of like, I want my pristine, you know, perspective on this. And that's what matters more than anything else. And I think that can kind of make some people feel cold or distanced from it rather than invited into it. Um, but it is, it is, it is really beautiful. Um, it's, it's like you're watching this kind of flowing, you know, moving work of art. Um, but it can feel like that's the top of the hierarchy. And I don't think it is for Malik. I don't think that really is yeah. the case. I think he, what it's these ideas underneath it all that he kind of, it's almost like he's, he whispers them often when he uses dialogue, mm. he'll, the dialogue is either whispered or like it's, it's not miked in a way like so that you really, you have to really strain to hear it. And it's like, but I think for him, that's the more important thing. And it's like, he wants you to kind of lean forward to try and, grasp that um, well I, I think he's almost what Malik is almost doing my perception of that and maybe this is just me projecting because I'm so because what I want that to be is is an inversion of the ideas and the proposition versus the larger way of seeing mm -hmm. so all these other films are about this is an idea like what everybody wanted to do with Joker like let's make it about this let's make it about this let's make it about this what are you saying what's your intention yeah. what what are you promoting what what are you what are you trying to judge and what are you trying to tell us? Like, what's, what's, what should we take away from this film and do it? And Malik, I think is trying to say like, it's bigger than that. And so he'll tap into that every once in a while in really subtle, small dialogue ways. And like a good example of that is in the film in a hidden life. Um, and Jeff had brought this up and I think it's true. Like one of the more explicit things in the movie of like, what is this movie about besides just, the story, because I think the story, the whole story is saying the same thing, but when Franz is helping the painter uh -huh. work in the church and the painter is talking about the icons and the images of Christ, what the whole movie is about is in what that painter says. Right, and like right. he's saying, he's saying, you know, I paint all these people sit here and they look up and it gives them something to focus on when they're in church. And I paint this, there's some line. I was going to try to look it up. He says, I paint there something Christ. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I paint, I paint a Christ that they can admire and a beautiful Christ. But like, I don't, that these aren't, I don't ever paint the Christ, the, the hard Christ, the dirty Christ, the Christ that is broken and abused, the, the kind of, he said, maybe someday I'll get to the point where I have the courage to paint or even be the Christ. Cause he said, people look to Christ as someone to admire, but not someone to emulate, mm -hmm. like not someone to be, to follow after I'm creating admirers, not followers. And so like that whole thing is about that. And that's all happening in the realization. So like, there's a couple things from the movie of where Franz he's cause the story is he's, 
this is during World War Two, and he's a uh, uh, Swiss, right? He's who? Franz, isn't Franz he? Franz is his Swiss. Okay, I I didn't know if he was Swiss or Austrian or or maybe he's Austrian. Yeah, he's probably Austrian. You're right. Sorry, I misspoke. And um, and he was uh, uh, conscripted into the army because they started drafting because everyone was required to work in the army and train. And he was eventually called up. But he started having these conflicting things of just feeling like it was unjust and saying, like, what if we're the bad guys? What if we're not the good guys? What if this war isn't right? I don't want to do it. So it's his whole process of wrestling with it. And as he, I think it's when he goes to see his priest and talk to him about it, or maybe it's even the bishop. Um, And he's on his way back to, like, his house. He passes on the road. And this is a very religious you know, place where he's at, very Catholic place. There's a church. The church is in the center of the community. You can hear the bells all the time, but he passes a, um, like a uh, little, what would you call it? Like a little sculpture, a little um, piece of, piece of holy art on the road, which just has Christ crucified. And, and right before it, he's saying like, what should I do? How do I react to this God? What do you want from me? And he passes that that art on the road and it stops the camera moves and he and you see him and he looks at it and i think that's his and it's unspoken yeah but i think that's his moment of realization like and this is after talking to the artist and all that that's his that's his realization that what should i do oh i actually need because the whole the film to me is what franz is is franz is christ Mm mm-hmm it's a, it's him being Christ to the world. That's what he's doing in the whole film. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I don't know. I can't remember how we started on this trail. Yeah, but, uh, it was, uh, I, one of the things I appreciated too is how charitable he was to all the people that, that saw things a different way. Like he always kind of put himself in their shoes. He's like, okay, well the, the, the church leader couldn't affirm my views cause he probably thinks I'm a spy you know, and yeah. you know, he, he doesn't, he can't even tell me what he really thinks. And he was very, and there, there was a point at the end where there was a guy trying to talk him out of it. And, you know, and the guy says something like, do you judge me? That was after his, was, in, like his judge, his inquisition. Yeah, yeah. That was really powerful. And it, I mean, I think I saw this in an article subsequently, but I remember at the time thinking this is just like pilot. You know, like you have somebody that actually is wants this but doesn't want to engage with it and is thinking like, how can I do something expedient but also not do something wrong? And he's kind of like turning inward and he's like, wait, do you judge me? Like, because suddenly he he realizes that his reasons for doing this are very moral, you know, whatever. And then then it's like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean you're judging me? I can't remember what, did he respond to that or did they cut on that? No, he did. He, no. And it's one of, that's one of the most explicit poignant parts of the whole movie, I think is because that's his, that's his actual judgment scene. So he's been in prison for a long time because he refuses to serve. He excuse, he refuses to swear like fealty to Hitler. And, um, and then he's in jail this time. And then that's his actual like uh, trial. And the leader, the the guy with the gamble, who's leading the whole thing, which actually that that was shot at the actual place where he was tried. Too, okay. I found out. Anyhow, the real friends. Um, 
so then after he's initially tried, they took a short recess and the leader of the thing called him and wanted to speak to him and spoke to him silently. And that's where he asked him. And the whole time you can see it, that he's the leader of the panel is uncomfortable with the whole thing. You can see he's not, there are people around him that are very vindictive and righteous and angry at friends. And how could you and yelling, which Malik does his like silencing them as they're just like yelling. Um, and, and yeah, he asks him that he's just like, don't we have a right? He asks him something like, don't we have a right to do this? And Franz's response is like, do I have a right not to? Yeah. Um, and then he asks him that, yeah, it's, it's very much like a pilot thing. And he says, do you judge me? And Franz's response is like, I don't judge you. Um, I, and he, he, the the really poignant part of it is he says, I just, I can't do what I believe to be wrong. He says, I have this inner, this inner feeling mm-hmm. and I can't do what I believe to be is wrong. And it's, and it's a, it's such a, cause really in a lot of ways, that's what I think the film is mainly about is, yeah. um, is, complete conviction of a following of Christ while simultaneously having total non-judgment of anyone who, who sees it differently. Well, I think that's where it comes in. Like the whole, the whole concept of a hidden life is it, because when it comes down to it, the only person that will ever know if he's being honest or not is himself right like is he doing this for the grandstand is he doing this for like some ulterior motives and everybody's kind of trying to poke at him to find that out you know and figure out why is he doing this like he's not going to help he's not going to change the war he's not going to help himself he's not going to make a difference nobody's going to like be changed their mind as a result of this they're all trying to like poke at his reasons for this yeah that comes up over and over the the aspect of the hidden life that he kind of reiterates there is like I just can't do this because I'm, I I feel like I need to be true to something inside myself that nobody else would even know if I was untrue to, like I could just, you know, break with it right now, but I I feel like I shouldn't. And that's, and I'm, I'm going to stick with that. And it, it, that, that whole, whatever that is inside him is hidden from us the whole film. Um, which is both good and bad. Cause you kind of, you're like, you want to know like what, what is the shape of that thing? Well, you want more detail on it, but it's kind of like maybe it's purposely kind of held from us so that we, we have those questions as well. You mean more like what his, you want him to just like walk through his conviction? Yeah, because I mean, it does, I mean, it's not just him that's affected. It's obviously his wife and his family and everything. And, and so it's like, you're, you're, you do have questions of like, is he, is he doing the right thing? It, it, you know, like, is he, is this the right way to, to, uh, to go about, you know, you know, this, this stance. And, um, yeah. there's, there's a certain feeling along, I think I felt like one of, for me, one of the biggest moments of film was like when his wife at the end is like, basically, cause you kind of are held in question of what her thoughts are. And she kind of says, you know, I'm, I'm with you, whatever you do, I'm with you. I think for me, that was a huge moment. Cause it was like, she in some sense was suffering more than he was because she she's out there on herself. She's got to do all the farming by herself. She got to raise the kids by herself. You know, whatever happens as part of this, she's going to suffer the consequences of more, you know, all the, the kind of 
whatever the, um, you know, the way the other villagers look at her and like the way she's treated and like that she, in some sense you see that poured out on her more than even him. And so there's a sense in which does, does she have resentment, you know, against him for this or how does she feel? And um, so I felt like that was like a big, like teary eyed moment for me when she's like, no, I'm on board with this. Like whatever you do, you know, I hundred I, percent I support you. Yeah, and she goes back and forth. Like there are scenes where she's saying, because right away when he's conscripted, she says, you know, we can run away to the mountains. You know, we can do this or we can, Yeah. or they're laying in the field. And she's saying, you know, like, or you could serve as a medic and that wouldn't be as bad. And you don't have to, and we could do all these different options. And she, and every, and she never really, I don't think overtly judges him or gets angry with him, but she's definitely wondering all these different yeah. options all the time. And, and, um, and other people are judging him and saying, you know, you're not thinking about your family. You're not thinking about, you're not being faithful to the fatherland. You're not, you know, doing all these things. And then that scene, that's the scene that just wrecks me when she comes to him and it's them being reunited and, uh, and her, I don't know, her line is something like, I don't know, he asks her, he asks her something. I can't remember. Because he's essentially, because they have such a like passionate, and throughout the whole movie you see that, like they're they're so in love and passionate. And when she says, he essentially asks her, not her permission, but just like he says something to her. I don't remember what it is. And she says, I wouldn't be able to say it, but she yeah. essentially says, yeah, I'm with you. And, and the the line that really wrecks me is she's just like, do what's right. And she just, she just gives him, she gives him the freedom to be honest. Yeah. To not and, lie to himself. Yeah. And the, and the respect that he is capable of doing that. Right. I and I think people... what's what's so crazy about the film too, though, I think is like, I don't think the film is saying he is, he is somewhat of a hero, but he's kind of also not a hero because I don't think the film is saying like, this was the best way to be. And if you chose a different option, if you went and, and were a medic, that wouldn't be okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think the film is saying that. Yeah, I think it, it is. It's saying something this is kind of gets into the territory of Rilke where it's like, it's about the, the infinite quality of the individual and, and that within that infinite stuff, that solitude within there's something of infinite value for you as an individual to kind of discover and share with the world in some sense. And like for him, this was something that he stumbled across and it's like his pearl of great price or whatever. It's like, I won't give this up. He couldn't have done it for him. It would have been wrong. Yeah. He couldn't have, he would have been, he would have been denying. Um, I don't know what, I, what, what I have heard like Merton, I bring up Merton a lot in the true self. He would have been denying, I think the God within the God that was speaking to him. And I, and I think this is probably, through this film and over the past few years, how I've really changed and how I am changing. I'm not there yet in that. I think, I think it is possible 
like the whole like you know this man can eat on the sabbath or this man can eat this food and this man cannot and every man should be fully convinced in his own mind mm-hmm. i think how i've become to changing in the way that i see that is i think i think you really can have different convictions and it can be okay yeah and i think this movie is about that and i think what's interesting is one of the interesting things about the film, which is related to this, is how it re- interacts with Silence, which is Scorsese's film from a few years ago, because, because it is very different than Silence in this way. And I, and I found out through a few different means that what, after Silence came out, Malik wrote Scorsese and said, like, he essentially asked him, like, what does Christ want from us? Because he was mm-hmm. so, I think, affected by the film. Malik a Christian? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I don't know the man and he doesn't do any sort of public speaking or anything, but like, I don't know how you make a movie like tree of life or a hidden life and not be. And I mean, there's just so much and there's just scripture all throughout it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, but I think what the difference, so like the difference in silence versus there, the hero does completely different things in silence and in a hidden life they're opposites yeah in silence and and it's almost like the language in the final scene when his wife or not the final scene but when the wife is there after he's been convicted um and uh and the lawyer comes in and says something like you know sign it it doesn't matter he says no one cares they just care about what's in your heart that's the exact same stuff that came up over and over and over in endo's silence in his book like that's that's what the you read the the, book uh, yeah the book is i mean get out of town like it's the book is one it took my breath away like literally i I, there was a point in it where i couldn't breathe (laughs) it was so good um and the film is great too but like the book is a masterpiece and um because it's the point because that's the people that are trying to convince rodrigo or Rodriguez, the the priest over and over and over in silence say, you know, step up on the Fumi. It doesn't matter. He's like, it's just a sign. All that matters is what's in your heart. God doesn't care. Step on it. It's yeah. meaningless. Yeah. And that's what he's wrestling with all the, you know, over and over and over is sure. I can sign this thing to Hitler. I, but like, I'm, but I'm not really in allegiance to him. So I'll just sign it. And, but he's fully convinced in his own mind. He can't, yeah. he can't. You know, and they were, and I, and this is the, this is the paradox, I think, is that in my opinion, I think both, I think all the priests and Father Rodriguez in silence were faithful Christians yeah. in their own way, but they did, but they were opposite of Franz. And I think Franz was obviously very faithful. Yeah. I love the the wife, like at her kind of low point, her she like cries out and is like, "Why, why did you create us, God?" And even though that's such a kind of feeling of desperation, there's also like a a certain like earnestness in terms of thinking God had. There's something you did. You have something, you know, in mind with all this. Like there's yeah. like a hopefulness even in the despair. And at the, the very end of the film, she's like you know at the at some point in the future we're going to know what all this is for like this is like this kind of you know like obviously 
she's not there yet, but it's just this kind of like hope of like, I, I know someday I'm going to know what this is about, what this was for, what it meant. Um, that sort of confidence that the essential nature of being is good in spite of what she experienced. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think that line, that's what it is more than anything. Is it a, it's a, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's the opposite of despair. It's hope. It's hope amidst, um, you know, seemingly and almost unbearable suffering in some ways, but yet it's, it's a, it's a continued hope. Cause yeah, that's the end. And, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's one of those things. So I'm probably going to just bail out short because, uh, my wife just woke up and I want to go hang out with her. I thought she was going to be sleeping longer. Sure. Um, but, uh, it's like we were saying, I mean, it's not, it's not a movie for everyone, unfortunately. I mean, in a way I get it. Like, it's just not gonna, it's just not going to resonate with a lot of people because of the things that we talked about. But I do, I think, and I still think this, and I don't know, I guess I would ask you this. If I, I put this out even before I watch it and I still believe this, that I think Joker is a warning and it's a, uh, and it's an example and an extrapolation, I think, of what's wrong with our culture. Mm-hmm. If, if it's taken out to its full course, what I would call um, the loss of faith and what I call technological babble, like that's what I think it is, uh, complete disembodiment into a, just a hatred of humanity. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, and isolationism uh, through the modern world. Um, But I think a hidden life, a hidden life is the opposite. A hidden life is the remedy. I think is the Christian response to a world like that, because it's interesting, like World War II was the beginnings of all this stuff, right? They lived out in this very agrarian world. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of technology. They had wagons, they had horses, they had plows, they had what this book that I'm reading uh, distinguishes as different from modern machine technology. They still had what's called like, um, what does he call them? Uh, contrivances. So like windmills, water wheels, things that are still connected to nature. But then there's this war that's starting that has planes and bombs. And there's a little bit of that Tolkien-esque contrast of like, Mm -hmm. A technology that's connected to a natural world, which is like Hobbiton and elves versus like the Sour Mound technology. Like that's a little bit going on in there too. And I think that's connected to, I mean, even though it was very, it wasn't even implicit. It was, I saw it within it, but um, this connection to technology and a disconnect from the world and how that just erodes these communities a little bit through war and militarism and conquest. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I really see that as kind of like, cause that's when all that stuff really started ramping up in this last century. Um, it's crazy how fast it happened. It makes me think there's, I was just reading a um, Barfield quote the other day. He said something about like when progress comes, whenever progress 
gets to a point where it's going at a certain speed, it becomes indistinguishable from a crisis. And I think that's, mm. that's kind of what we, what we're experiencing. It's like progress in itself has this, this good element to it, but it's, it's, it's this, we, we're not, we're losing track of all the things we're throwing away to, uh, to gain the next little notch in the progress, you know, march of progress. And it's happening in an accelerating way and it's becoming, you, you, you quickly have a generation of people who can't even remember how it used to be. And what, what, what is, you know, what will that be like? It's, um, it's, it's well, that's that Neil Postman quote too, from his book, Technopoly about how like, in a, that's his ideas in this techno technique oriented and world. He said, everything will start to be seen through the lens of technology, arts, culture, religion, politics. And, and it's almost, it will get to a point where like, you can't even see outside of it. And to me, that's the principality of technology and all of that. I don't, I mean, maybe that that's a teaser for like, if Karen and you and I ever talk about it, but like, I don't see any of that as disconnected from this. Like people, um, I don't know. I see it as intrinsically connected mm-hmm. to, to that kind of a world because when you are moving that fast and technology allows you to move that fast because technology makes things expedient, you don't, you, tr- and I mean, this even gets into like the um, Odin in his eye thing is you trade it, you trade vision Mm-hmm. Because like you even think about it in a car, when you're driving really fast in a car, you're accomplishing this goal that you have really quickly, but you fundamentally interact and perceive and see the world differently. You can't, yeah. like, have you ever noticed when you drive through a community all the time or you drive a road all the time and then walk, walk that same road? Yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. You notice completely different things. Um, and I don't know. I don't think that's, I don't think. The technology piece is not something people have thought about a lot, or some have, but it's not. Yeah. Well, it cre- I think I think what Jonathan Peugeot has said this. He's like, what a technology does, it creates layers in between yeah. you and reality. So, um, yeah. so yeah, certain certain things become suddenly hidden from you um, as a result of of technology. And um, I mean, one of the, I mean, I, I think we see it a little differently because I, I feel like technology has to play some mm-hmm. pivotal role in the fix as well as I, I don't think like the, the fix. Well, I mean, it could be, I mean, maybe the fix is that everything just falls apart and we start over, you know, like with stone age equipment and, you know, most of humanity is wiped out. And I don't know. I, I think that's, un, I hope that doesn't happen obviously, but um, I think what, well, here's the thing. What is technology too? Is it's, it's, it's kind of embedded in, in humanity. And you think even like with, um, you know, when, when you have the fall, the first thing that happens is God creates clothes for him. Right. Right. I would say that even language itself is a sort of technology. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, well, yeah, it is in a way for sure. Paul Paul gets into in his most recent thing where you really language is a sort of magic. And we, um, and then I think we've lost a sense of that, but I think it's really true. Um, I think language kind of bridges those things. That's that Alan Moore quote I love so much about how he talks about it's magic and grammar and how that's like, um, yeah, it's a great quote. But I, I do believe language is one of those things that is, 
it's so crazy because it is a tool and it can be a tool. This is where, whatever I would get, I think it's really a tool when you get it at the propositional level, Mm -hmm. but, um, but language is one of those things that, that plays in both spaces and it's fundamentally masculine and feminine. So this, this would be my, my last thought about but technology. I think all technology can be that way. It, it just, it depends on how it's used. But like, I mean, even like think of uh, the communion, you know, communion could have been, you know, water and, you know, like a leaf, you know, it could have been this highly natural thing. But instead it's bread and wine, which we don't think of as technology, but, so much technology, history, culture, things went into the creation of those that, I mean, it, it's, it's inseparable with civilization. And I feel like there is something of God intending to bless the imperfect work of mankind in, in taking those as the elements. Um, and I, I'd say even in, you know, in the internet now, you can see that both evil and good spirits can inhabit these mediums and, and, you know, uh, and there's a magnification of like for good and bad, um, that, that takes place with, you know, like even like Paul's video YouTube channel, like we're having this conversation because of, I think something that essentially good that's come about (coughs) this propagation of, of his, you know, technology and this message around the world. And so I don't know, I, I, I don't know what a solution looks like or whatever, but I feel like it's going to have technical components to it as well as I see your techno babble thing is very real. I think it's likely going to play a, a huge, it's going to be the primary thing that causes whatever next crisis that affects the world is. It's, it's certainly, I mean, if you look at 2008, I know we've talked about this, you know, that was, yeah. that was finance and technology come together to create, you know, that, that, crazy bubble um and i think the next one will be just an even bigger version of technology and financialization in the global markets that that's even way worse i i I think it's you don't have to be smart to see that that's like happening you know it's going to happen i don't i don't see a way around it unless i don't know something majorly changed in the way we live yeah, I think I think the most dangerous way that technology interacts with us is in a very and I still haven't read it, but I but I read a quote recently about oh, it was a Neil Postman thing too, but he said the difference he was he was illustrating the difference between Orwell's dystopian future and Huxley's dystopian future. And in Orwell's it was essentially that like it was all like it was this totalitarian thing that came from the state, but he said Huxley's was different in that it wasn't top down. It was bottom up. It's that people willingly gave themselves up yeah, and willingly lost themselves. And I think both are happening right at the same time now. Well, and what I think is dangerous, what, where I think technology could be most dangerous is in the, um, is not so much in these bigger crises because those, those are, those are a big deal. Like I'm not saying they're not insignificant, but in the way that it erodes the human soul and it disconnects us to the point of Arthur Fleck because all the systems and all the brokenness and all that, cause that's what technology does, right? If it's layers and garments and degrees of separation, that's even what that book says. If you get so separated from the real via technology, every individual that we're all so divorced from the real that we are own our isolated autonomous units, like 
you're completely divorced from a sacramental reality and you're divorced from a connection to the, to the infinite because you're just left in your own little bubble. That's what the Joker is in my symbolically, I think. And so if technology, if techno, if there isn't an inbreak of the feminine, see, this is my whole idea with Babel. Babel is feminine. It's chaos. It's, I think the feminine is coming back no matter what, because it does. Like if there will be an inbreak of the feminine and it'll either happen through repentance and revival or it will happen through a flood or it will happen through like a Babel type thing and destruction and war. I mean, there will, there will be some inbreak of the feminine and maybe, and this is where I would agree with you. Like maybe, maybe technology, I'm open to the idea, although I'm critical of the idea that that can happen by a technology through like this, through with what we're doing, through the Paul Vanderclay world, through the internet, through a breakdown of, of gatekeepering. I see this happening in the Paul world right now, him talking to Sam, him to his recent conversation, talking to Voth from the discord. Paul is having conversations today, in my opinion, and seeing things and being open to stuff that I don't think he saw two years ago. Oh yeah. Because I think he lived in a, in two, in a two closed off world and that's happening through the internet. Now my my critique my fear would be like that's great all that is great but if it doesn't lead us to all break down that technological isolation in our own individual particular finite lives mm. instead of just in theory it won't do anything it will be a you know it'll be a flash in the pan yeah and I think people see that. I think that's what I think that's what Paul and Job and John Van Donk and everything. I think that's why they're emphasizing the meetups. You know, because yeah. that's that's the future. I mean, that's it's about embodiment in your local life. You know. Yeah. And self-denial, because that's where it's hard. Like, it's so easy. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I love these conversations, but and, like, even online. But, like, it, it's very easy because it's egoic to talk about ideas and to figure things out, which is fine. That's part of the necessary thing. But it's not enough. This is my critique of propositional knowing. Yeah. This isn't enough. Like, I have to, I have to have sound doctrine with my family. I have to have sound doctrine with my neighbor. You know, I have to have, and by that, I mean like healthy, um, you know, like flourishing life because that's where it's hard. Like even being around my extended family over Christmas, that's where it's hard. Yeah. Like it's hard to, it's hard to really love the people closest to you. That's that Dostoevsky quote about active love that I love so much, you know, where he's like, the philanthropist that loves, loves mankind so much and writes all his checks for the mission organizations that he supports, you know, and, but then, but he can't stand to be another person in the same room for more than a few minutes. And just like the touch just makes his skin crawl. You know, that's like, that's, that's living in your abstractions versus the real world. So I don't know. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I do think, 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The the distance between you know an embodied reality uh, of is is growing and it's accelerating, and that's that's going to cause some some issue. Um, but I do think I do, there's something that's being worked out though in these conversations that I think will be key and would not be possible without the underlying technology. I do think that. Now, what, what the manifestation is, like, I feel, it's like this is the spirit and these conversations of like, how will this take form? And then there's got to be some embodied version of it that actually creates real community, like you were just saying, you know? Yeah, like this is, that's, that's how I would say it. The ideas that we're working through here propositionally are fine. We're, we're reaching for apples, but we got to eat it. Yeah. Like if we just continue reaching for apples and then, and then use that to get like extendo arms and reach for further apples and things, but we're never actually eating it in our local embodied life. We're inviting a flood. We're inviting, you know, that's just more, it's just more abstraction. That's not what we need. Well, and I think what it comes down to is a, what is, what's real communion you know, I think yeah. that's something the church is kind of working on right now and, and needs to more. Um, and then also orthodoxy. You know, how do you draw the lines so that you're inclusive enough, but uh, you still have structure, you know, structure that, that is healthy and can survive. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think this year is going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. If if it feels like it feels like to me, we're on the cusp of something, but I don't know what it is, and I don't know if it's good or bad. I feel you. Really. All right. Well, I'm gonna bail. This was great. It's always yeah. fun talking to you. Yeah, same here. I'll uh, I'll uh, send you a link so you can uh, share with whoever you want. Cool, man. All right. All right. Till next time. Later.